the station was in a house and um, they didn't give you a key to the house. You had to just, you know, the last person that, you know, you got replaced, you, they let you in and you let the next person in. Okay. I went out to get an air, like it's total radio geek, right? I went out to get an air check from my car and there were two doors and I took a piece of paper and I stuck the piece of paper like between the door jam on both doors. Right. Go out. Like, I didn't find the air check. Open the first door and it pushed the wind and the other paper fell and the door closed <laughs> in front of me. And I am locked out of the radio station. I'll never and forget. Is this in a stop set or in the middle of a song? Michael Jackson, black or white. <laughs> you want to talk about trauma. 30, 30 plus years later, I still remember the song. Ben's Town President Dave Chachi Dennis loves radio and all of his radio friends. Hey, Chachi. Hey, everybody. Because Chachi loves everybody. <laughs> My next guest has programmed legendary stations across the country, including being the APD of Mix in Boston, uh, the program director at Q101 in Chicago, and Camel in Phoenix. Along the way, he's also coached and developed the careers of some of the biggest talent in the industry, such as Mojo in the Morning, Man Cow, uh, John Jay and Rich, and uh, our good friend R-Dub. Please welcome Tim Richards. What's up? Hey, man. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the invitation. I only had to pay you like 500 bucks to get the chance to do yeah. this. <laughs> 500, man, you can be on the show for 50. You overpaid <laughs> <laughs> dramatically, dramatically. I want to say before we get started, you are just, I think, one of the kindest, coolest people that could exist. I remember when R-Dub and I were let go uh, unceremoniously or ceremoniously, whatever you want to say, from uh, Clear Channel years back. You were one of the first people ever to reach out to us. And I remember uh, going out the time you were in uh, Tucson and, uh, or was it Phoenix? I can't recall, but- oh, we drove- it, was Tucson. it was 2009, right? 2009, yeah, to Tucson. And you took us out to eat and you could not have been any kinder. And uh, you gave me a book and I just will never forget how supportive you were. Um, and you learn at that time as I'm sure, um, you know, many people that have worked in radio, uh, that, uh, you know, you get let go quite a bit in this industry, but you learn quickly when you have been let go, who your friends are. And I can, uh, I can say that you are a good friend. Well, thank you. That means a lot. Thank you very much for that. And uh, the feeling is absolutely mutual. You know, it's a fraternity, right? Radio, there's only a very small amount of people that do what we do in the United States. And, and today it's about 10% of what that number was even back in 2009. So um, I think it's important for us all to kind of stick together. So true. It's, uh, I was just came from Radio Inc. Forecast, and there's no doubt that there's been some consolidation in this uh, industry for years and years, and uh, it does get smaller. And uh, we, uh, we need more people like you, more leaders like you. That is, uh, that is for sure. Uh, tell me a little right, bit about- Another check is in the mail. I got yeah. thank you. <laughs> tell me a little bit about growing up, uh, your, your childhood. Sure. I uh, grew up in the south suburbs of Chicago. So uh, born in a town called Blue Island, which borders Chicago, and then um, lived in Worth, Oak Lawn. And then uh, we moved out to a suburb called Frankfurt uh, when I was nine. My parents blue collar. So my dad was a switchman on the railroad. Mom made tape for 3M in a factory. And, you know, they fought a fair amount and, you know, it was, you know, typical lower middle-class, uh, dysfunctional home in the seventies. Uh, and, uh, when I was probably nine or 10, I just decided I got to figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Cause I didn't want to live that life. Right. Like I didn't want to be miserable and fight and all that kind of stuff. So 
I was either going to be a private investigator, live in Hawaii, drive <laughs> like someone it. else's Ferrari. I would have worn a Cub hat, though. Not, <laughs> not, not the uh, the Detroit Tiger hat, like uh, Magnum PI. Exactly. <laughs> or, you know, look like Johnny Fever and Andy Travis were having a good time on WKRP <laughs> in Cincinnati. And I know there's there's so many people that are watching this that have no idea what I'm talking about, but. If you YouTube WKRP in Cincinnati, you can watch some episodes. And that's, and, that's sadly, that's part of the reason why and, I'm here today. And, and Magnum PI for that matter. Which oh, Magnum, a, well, Mag, yeah, Magnum had the, uh, the redo as well. That's right. That's right. They did have the reboot. So you get inspired. Was it WKRP in Cincinnati that inspired you to get into the business? Well, it's WKRP that gave me the idea of like, you know, at nine or 10, you got to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Right. Like, so, and it was like, I got to, you know, TV was my influence. So. WKRP was like radio. Look, there's a lot of radio stations. This could be a lot of fun. And then, you know, listening to, I'm so blessed to grow up in Chicago with some of the best radio on the planet, you know? Sure. So listen to uh, Bob Pittman's WMAQ. Uh, WMAQ is going to make me rich when I was a kid. Uh, US 99, because I came from a very country household, but also loved Stephen Gary and Kevin Matthews and Jonathan Brandmeier. So many of those you know, just incredible personalities in Chicago. And all of that kind of drove me to really look at, you know, the radio industry. And and so when I was 17, I called um, US 99, probably on a weekend. Uh, the DJ answered the phone and I said, hey, I want to do what you do. What's my next step? And uh, he said, you know, there's a college in Chicago called Columbia. It's got a great radio department. You should look at that. And um, little did I know that um, that guy's name was Bart Shore, that he would end up becoming one of my teachers at Columbia because he ended up teaching there. No kidding. And, um, you know, I mean, once you're I, lucky that when you called the station, it was Bart who picked up. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I shared the story with him when he was uh, when he was my teacher as well. And we're uh, Facebook friends now. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was great. And I'm like, all right, Columbia, I got to check out Columbia and and. There were a couple of colleges in the Chicago area that had good communications and radio departments. And it was always important for me to get a degree. So it wasn't just, you know, I, I, I wanted to have like, I was, always, I'm always a pragmatist. So I wanted to have the degree in case it didn't work out, you know? Sure. So I, I went to Columbia, had a great time and started building my foundation from there. And, and so you, know, you got a degree in communications at uh, Columbia? I got, a, I got a, a bachelor of arts, but I actually went as an undeclared major because I could get through the school curriculum faster. I got a BA. I, I graduated when I was 20. Oh, that's impressive. Were your parents supportive? My dad wanted me to join the Navy <laughs> to pay for college. Uh, and mom and I, you know, pretty much funded my college career. So I went to community college for a while. And then my last two years in the summer, I spent at Columbia. And um, yeah, so, so supportive in a sense. Uh, but, you know, my parents, again, very, very, you know, Midwest, uh, blue collar, get a union job, you know, life will be right, safe. Right, right. You know, back in the early 90s, that that was still true, right? But today, I mean, I'm glad I chose radio because all those union jobs are, you know, few and far between. And there's in those careers, I mean, my mom's factory is now a soccer stadium. So no kidding. Things change. Yeah. Are they still both alive? Uh, mom passed in 2009, actually, okay. um, right after we met. And uh, my dad is still around. He lives outside of New Mexico. So was just there the weekend before Thanksgiving. Were they, so your mom was able to see you really rise within the industry though. I'm sure she was, she was proud. She was proud. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. She was, 
She was also excited when I came home. So I left, left Chicago in 92 and came back in 01 and got a chance to be there when my mom and dad both retired from their jobs. So that was probably her proudest thing. And then getting to take her to cool places, the Grand Ole Opry, meeting music artists and stuff like that. Sure. Yes, they had, that, they had those opportunities. My dad, for sure. My mom's highlight uh, in my career is when I took her to Vegas to go see Barry Manilow and then she yes. got to meet Barry Manilow. And my dad's highlight was meeting Carlos Santana uh, backstage at the Hollywood Bowl. I, uh, they, they, they both got to do that, which they were very, very happy. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so they, they, you, you officially arrived in your parents' eyes Ex- when, exactly. when you pulled that off, right? That, that was my peak. <laughs> not, and, and by the way, not about your income. Doesn't matter what you make. It's right, just, right. you know, whatever part. <laughs> the access, exactly. Yeah. So, so I have you uh, in your, um, as I'm going through kind of the chronological order, uh, going to mix, um, be the APD in Boston, but that was 95, 96. Where did you go right after you got, you uh, graduated? Okay. So, so graduated in um, 91, in the summer okay. of 91. And um, the, my first job was a suburban radio station called The Bus, WBUS. And it was a 50,000 watt station out of Kankakee, which is about 60 miles south of Chicago. Okay. And it was a kind of a, a feeder for the city of Chicago. And I got a, I got a weekend job. And back then they didn't, they, they, I think they had two weekend people. So it was me and another guy. And, um, I would do like midnight to noon right? or I would do like 6am to 6pm or 6pm to 6am, depending on some you know, long shifts. Oh, it was, and by the way, you could say your name twice an hour. You could back <laughs> sell the song you were coming out of front, sell the song you were going into no phoners, time and temp. That was, that was it. So, (laughs) but I'm grateful because it it gave me the chance to figure out how to use my voice to try to communicate. What does a smile sound like? What, you know, how do I, how do I, with this very limited amount of time that I can speak in a very, very strict guideline in terms of what I could say, how do I, you know, have fun expressed on the radio? So, so I'm glad I did. I did it for like five months. And by the way, the low light, not the highlight of that, what, and I got to share this story because um, this is, you know, we've all had our, our bad moments, but um, I went, so, so it was in a house. The station was in a house and um, they didn't give you a key to the house. You had to just, you know, the last person that, you know, you got replaced, you, they let you in and you let the next person in. Okay. I went out to get an air, like it's total radio geek, right? I went out to get an air check from my car and there were two doors and I took a piece of paper and I stuck the piece of paper like between the door jam on both doors. Go out. I didn't find the air check. Open the first door and it pushed the wind and the other paper fell and the door closed <laughs> in front of me. And I am locked out of the radio station. I'll never forget. And is this in a stop set or in the middle of a song? Michael Jackson, black or white. <laughs> You want to talk about trauma, 30, 30 plus years later, I still remember the song and um, I tried climbing up the side of the house because I had left the door open on this like porch area. I couldn't get up. I drove my car onto the lawn, tried to climb up. The song is fading out. I literally had to run down the street to a gas station and call the APD. Oh my God. He lets me in the building. Flights are flashing. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I am sure, I'm 100% sure that this is the absolute end of my radio career before it ever even starts. <laughs> and I get called into, uh, Mickey Milner was the owner and the uh, program director. And I get called into Mickey's office the next day. I obviously didn't sleep that night. 
Right. And um, he's like, you know, man. And Mickey was like cigarette smoking, booze drinking, like just, <laughs> you know. Uh, and he's like, you know, back in the day, we used to put on Inagata DeVita and I go down to the bar or down to the, you know, liquor store and I'd buy myself a pint. And he looks up to me, he's like, you're never going to do that again, are you? I'm like, no, sir, I'll never do that again. And uh, he's like, all right, get out of here. And I didn't get fired. I was like, oh my God, like, where would I be today if, if Mickey had like dressed me down and, and just, cause he had every right to, right? I mean, I like locked myself out of the radio station, but he didn't. I got very, very lucky in that moment. It's funny how you look at like how life, you know, bobs and weaves and how things happen. How long were you off the air? How long was this? 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Like, which I'm sure it felt like an eternity. Oh, it was an eternity. Absolutely. Yeah. It was an eternity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and again, this was a different time, right? So people listen to the radio a lot. Uh, so, you know, my phone was blowing up and yeah, it was a, it was a, a crazy, crazy story. That's crazy, hilarious. crazy times. So from there, is that where you landed your gig in Boston? So, okay. So, so bus. And then, um, I kept working it, working my air checks, stayed connected to the guys that I interned at B96. So that's where I, and I got pushed into an internship at B96 when I was at Columbia. Cause I didn't, I didn't even want to do an internship. I thought I'll get my credit hours. I'll take my air check. I'll go get a gig. So Al Parker, the head of the radio department said, you got to do an internship. And I was a sales intern. So I sales interned for B96 and then they hired this new afternoon guy from uh, a station in DC named Gary Spears. Sure. Love Gary. Gary's uh, the best. He's an incredible One of my talent. closest, dearest friends uh, yeah. and just one an incredible talent. So Gary um, was having his first day at B96. They need somebody to answer phones for him. So he's like, hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to help out? I'm like, hell yeah, I want to help out. Uh, and, my, and my buddy, uh, Tom Carballo, Mojo from Detroit, was producing George McFly at night. So like, yeah, of course yeah. I want to. I want to try to. So George know, McFly, Gary, you. Baltazar did late night. Balt, oh my God. Uh, Eddie and Joe Bo. Uh, Mojo. I mean, what Todd a, Cavanaugh was middays. Unreal. Yeah. What Todd was middays and, uh, and music director on the station. So, so, so that, that um, fill in job in Chicago lasted eight months. And in that time I had the chance to meet my wife who was an intern at the radio station all of these things you don't know until you look back in life how they're all interwoven and how you know one change in one situation could have made everything completely different in sure. your life. So I'm I'm really grateful and 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 B96 is very near and dear to me to this day and I'm proud of Joey Anish, Gina, Carla and the team that they're there now. That's the, the morning show that I work with here in Phoenix on Live 101.5 and they're they're also on uh, in Chicago now. So it's kind of fun to see it all kind of go full circle and catch up with those guys and swap stories and stuff. For sure. What an amazing time. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, nineties in Chicago radio, people cared and people still care a lot about radio in Chicago, yeah. but 30 years ago, you know, if, if you were on B96 or connected to the station, it was a big deal. Right. Right. And then from there you segue into, into Boston. Okay. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> almost. 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 So, so B96. Somehow, somehow along the way, I missed like three, well, no, three I, stations. I, 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 didn't, I didn't even put, I'm sorry, I did not put everything on the, okay. I, I should have sent you the whole list. So B96, you know, the goal is to get a full-time job in radio, right? So I sent out air checks, you know, John Christian at um, Hot 97.7, Dan Valley, consult, all, all these different people. And um, when I got that job at B96, I replaced a guy named Jim Lawson. Sure. Jim is now programming, you know, Cozy in Denver. He's been de doing Denver radio for 30 years. But Jim left 
um, B96 to go be the program director and afternoon guy for VIC in Lansing. So I come in, fill his role as a, you know, swing jock weekends. And then eight months later, he needs a midday music director. And he says, hey, um, you want to come and, you know, be my guy. And, and so I, I moved to Lansing. I was there a year and a half. We're getting to Boston. One more stop. <laughs> Mojo had gotten hired in Tucson. So, you know, we were obviously friends from college and from B96. He got me my gig or helped. Uh, oh, I didn't know. So Mojo went to Columbia College as well? Mo- oh, Mojo went to Columbia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Way, his oldest, Joe, is my godson, and he also went to Columbia College. And Joe is now doing mornings in on Tampa, right? in Tampa. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. So, so Columbia College is really, it's produced some incredible talent. Jeff Capucci. Wow. Yeah, a lot, lot of, lot of great programming people, and me, but a lot of great ones too. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so, so then Mojo, you know, got me looked at, got me the look in Tucson. Moved there for a year and a half, and um, worked with Mark Todd, and just loved Tucson, loved the team, loved that whole experience. Another great programmer, Mark Todd. Love Mark. Yeah, yeah, my Mark's actually semi-retired, but lives here in yeah, the Phoenix close to you, well. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, other side of the valley, but yeah, he's, he's, he's in the area. So, hey, Mark, what's up? <laughs> so um, a year and a half into that gig, I, I was ready to like, it was market climbing time in the business, right? You thought that was what you had to do. You had to get to the big city. Right. So I got two interviews like within the same week. I interviewed with John Peake, uh, who was programming Mix in Denver. And then I interviewed with Greg Strassel uh, at Mix in Boston. And I had to you know, kind of decide between those two situations. And, two amazing uh, options. Two amazing options. And, and honestly, being the, the falling in love with the West Coast, I'm not sure what made me choose Boston, but I'm really glad that I did. Working under Greg was just incredible. And, I, and, and John and John Peake and I are still close to this day and we stay connected and also a brilliant programmer. Yeah, uh, John's at uh, my old stomping grounds. He yeah, uh, yeah, is the program director of, of KBIG or kind of my running, FM. running the show over there yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, he's doing awesome. doing really well. I remember it was such a big deal. Remember he went to France for a while? Yep, he did. He did yeah. radio in France. And yeah, yeah it was he, around the same time that uh, Ken Benson went to go program um, MTV. And I remember oh, exactly. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In the late 90s there. Yeah, you're like, whoa, John Peake's going to France and. Ken Benson's working at, you know, all running these MTV. international guys doing all yeah, totally. these crazy, <laughs> crazy TV people crossing over. Yeah. Why am yeah. I just still answering phones in San Diego? <laughs> <laughs> so to go work with Greg Strassel, I mean, at this point though, I mean, you've had major market experience because you, even though I guess it was more of an internship, but I mean, you got to work at B96. So it wasn't like a huge it was a jump because now you've got the title of APDMD and you're going to go work for Greg. And I've got the utmost respect for Greg, Greg. I've, we work with Greg on, on, with some of his stations. And I think Greg, um, at least with people that have come across in my life is a very methodical programmer. That's my, oh my interpretation. Yeah. Uh, my introduction, I work with Johnny K. Johnny was one of my, my mentors, but I kind of always felt that the two of them were very similar in their programming styles. And it was really, at least for throughout my career, I still, to, upon, still this day, I call upon some of the things that Johnny taught me because details were so incredibly important. That was, that was definitely Greg for sure. And he was really good at building great teams, building chemistry. You know, Greg, when you meet him tends to be, you know, a quiet guy. He's more the guy that's going to observe than put the lampshade on and be in the middle of the room. But when you get to know him, then obviously it's a whole different story. But uh, 
But yeah, just he builds great teams, and um, I am so grateful for that time. Zapolian was uh, was our consultant, so you know I got some real quality time uh, with Guy there as yeah. well. And and Greg during the, and it was only a year that I spent in Boston, but Greg um, had was taking on a lot more responsibility with American Radio, so he was gone a lot. He was traveling to different markets and kind of you know, like, here you go. And I'm, I'm one of those guys who like needs to really feel like I've mastered it before I'm comfortable with it. Uh, so this was definitely, you know, right into the deep end of the pool with Greg. And, uh, again, I'm so, so grateful for that experience. He must've had a tremendous amount of, you know, belief in you to give you the reins for all intents and purposes while he was out of town of, of a radio station like that, you know, back to the correlation of Greg and, and Johnny, for a moment, they were brand builders. They were really detail oriented, but also built these incredible brands. You look at like what coast or, or K earth or the wave, and you look at like TLP and, um, and mix and TMX, these brands are just gigantic brands, which I think some programmers or some groups don't see or understand the importance of those brands, but those brands in a lot of ways transcend, uh, the, the radio station itself. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And that was one of the things that I learned in working with Greg. He and Leanne Callahan, who was the director of marketing for the cluster, created uh, this amazing concert, Mixed Fest. And it wasn't just just about a radio station playing music. It was trying to create a deeper connection with the audience. And I've taken that throughout my entire career as one of the most important aspects of what we do. So you work with Greg for a year and uh, he gives you a lot of autonomy and uh, obviously it sounds like teaches you quite a bit. And then you're given the opportunity to become the OM back in Tucson at KRQ in KNST. Yeah, so so Tucson, for a P, a PDF KRQ first then promoted up to OM, yeah. And that okay. was, again, my buddy Tom, Mojo, kind of advocating on my behalf. And uh, yeah, it was uh, first PD gig. I, I'd done an interview with American radio for a different PD gig. And I passed on that and I just did a one year contract with American radio. So, you know, they were great. They were very gracious with me leaving, you know, even though it was a, it was a short stint. And by the way, I was like 26 years old. So at that age, you think a year is a long time. Sure. You know, today, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know today is I'm unpacking my Christmas uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, decorations. I'm like, I can't believe it's been a, it's been a year. <laughs> yeah, it feels like yesterday. Yeah. So, I know I just packed this stuff up. <laughs> so yeah, whole, whole different, whole different story, but um, yeah. And um, so is Mojo, is he doing mornings now at KRQ? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so Mojo was doing mornings when I came to the, he had just gotten promoted to mornings when I came to the station for the first time. And he may have started in 93, in mornings, and I came in May of '94. At that point, and obviously, Mojo's just gone on to this incredible success and uh, has, has dominated uh, Detroit now for, for years. Could you already tell that early on in his career that there was just something special there? Oh, without question, yeah. Mojo has this magnetic personality. You know the it thing that we all talk about. Yeah, he's got it. You know, and he's got it in spades. And you know, he walks into a room, and nobody's a stranger, and he can light up the room and make, and, and by the way, he's also gifted at making everybody feel good about themselves. And this is a quality that not a lot of humans possess. We can all do it, but most of us, you know, normal people have bad days and we're just right. not, you know, but Tom is, 
I've seen very few instances in my 30 plus years of knowing him where he speaks ill of people. His really, his goal is to just whoever he's around is to elevate them. And, and then everybody wins. Yeah. So sorry to sidebar on that. But so at this point, is KRQ already a, a success or you, does it need some help? Does it need to be built? No, you built know, up? I think this, the, the main thing with the, with the station is that the, so at that point, mid nineties, so our friend R-Dub, who has a syndicated show, Sunday Night Slow Jams, was on across the street on the station Power 1490. Yeah, that's the, uh, the little AM that the he did the AM documentary that was about. A lot of that, that hip hop and that rhythmic stuff that people wanted to hear. Right, right. And, and, and KRQ was a, was a lot more conservative and probably a little more, you know, Midwest rock in its okay. music direction. So what we did as part of the strategy when I became PD was to really embrace more of that musical style. And because there wasn't an outlet in the marketplace for it at the time, like we got to, we got to try, especially as we departed more back then, we got to try to really own that stuff. I mean, the the market's 30 plus percent Hispanic, right? Uh, You got to give the audience what they want. And so that was part of the philosophy. And at somewhere along the line, you end up, it goes all the way to number one, right? You develop the high, or it gets the biggest yep, numbers. Yep. Yeah. I go back and forth, but yeah, number one between, you know, it was a lot of times it was KRQ or Kim FM, the country station. And sometimes mix would, would bounce up there as well with Bobby Rich. So yeah, we were all kind of duking it out for number one, but you know, we were all doing you got pretty a well. Number one station in your mid twenties and Mojo's doing mornings for you. It's uh, pretty cool. It was, uh, it was great. And, you know, by the time I became PD, Mojo had been there for a few years. We, we did some marketing around him, did a TV campaign and helped to build a profile of, of that morning show. And yeah, it was, uh, it was a fun time, magical time to be there. A fun three years. So Pacific Star Communications, is that who owns those stations at the time or were those? Uh, yeah, that was, so, so it was originally um, Bill Phelan and Prism Radio Partners. And okay. then it got sold to Capstar, which then got sold to Clear Channel. So got that's it. how, and that which became iHeart. Okay. So that's where kind of the lineage, um, to the best of my recollection, sort of unfolded. So they must be impressed with your success because now they lift you to regional PD for Pacific Star Communications. And you're now overseeing Austin and Phoenix. And I assume along with Tucson at that time. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was uh, Honolulu, which was great. Uh, I got a chance to you know, visit that market on multiple occasions and Fresno and. How does that kind of change? You're focused, you know, on one, then two radio stations that are doing really well. And now they say to you, you've got what, eight, however many markets you're in four or five different markets, assuming they've got a couple of radio stations. So you've got eight, 10 radio stations that you're overseeing. How does that change for you psychologically? You know, you just, uh, like many radio people, I'm ADD. So right. you just get excited. It's like, oh, more stuff to do. This is great. Yeah. You know, more brands. <laughs> awesome. How can I help? You know, like that, that, sort, of, uh, that sort of philosophy. And um, it was fun because when that happened, it was one of the first times in my career where I had like, had a chance to influence the dynamic in my own market by promoting my competition out of the market and into the company. So we had this guy across the street the station uh, Power 97.5 was uh, starting to get into our shorts a little bit, sort of picked up a while after, um, and, and R-Dub worked there as well, picked up a while after um, Power 1490 went away. And um, this guy, Fred Rico, was uh, really smart. And, sure. you know, I'm like, you know what? We, we need a PD in Honolulu at KIKI. 
uh, I-94 and reached out to him and got him moved out of the market. So he wins because his wife's from Hawaii and he gets to move to Hawaii. And we win because now he's no longer, you know, a factor. Right, right. That's a smart chess move. Where is Fred? Because Frederico, uh, he programmed San Diego, Hawaii. He was yep. uh, Phoenix for a while. Yep. Where is he now? He's consulting. Okay. Uh, yeah, so he's consulting and uh, we do work together on some projects as well. Oh, that's great. Tell him I said hi. I'm a big fan Will of his. Will do. Yeah, he's a, a great, he's a bright great guy. Yeah, he was one of the very first PDs to ever take a chance on us in Benstown. I remember uh, years oh, ago. Oh, that's awesome. He yeah. also comes from that school of build great cultures and, um, you know, could give a workshop on how to, how to build like a family, a family Which unit. It's probably the single most important thing in the business. It is. Yeah. yeah. So from there, you now get, are given an opportunity to go to Detroit. Uh, you're serving as the regional PD for Pacific Star Communications and Clear Channel calls, and they want you to go to Q95 in Detroit. Is that Yeah, so by it, that time, happened? Clear Channel had bought um, KRQ. I so see, that, okay, so we got it. Into it. And um, Tom Pullman called. And I, okay. I'll never forget, I was in- the old I-94 studios in so Hawaii. So Tom's at, Tom's at Z100 New York. And now is he already like the VP of programming? He's doing, he's doing, he's doing stuff, you know, on a, on a regional or national okay. level with the company. And, and he it. reached out and said, hey, we need help with uh, this station in Detroit. I want you to take a look at it. And and I'll be honest, I, I with all due respect to Detroit as a city, because it's now like, you know, it's got a huge piece of my heart. But I was just like, I love the West. I don't ever want to leave cold, sure. snow, all that stuff. Uh, but he's like, no, I really want you to interview and, and to think about it. And uh, so I did. And I went out there and met Steve Schramm, the GM, who's one of the greatest GMs ever. And I was like, okay, I could do this. Uh, you know, part, part of it for me, you know, like a lot of us programmers, I tend to have, you know, my insecurities and you want to work with general managers that you feel like believe in you and yeah. will get your back. And Steve was that all day long. And that was exactly what I needed at the time in my career. So you go... Chicago to the outskirts of Chicago to Lansing to Lansing Tucson Tucson where you're Boston. warm again yeah back back to the cold Boston back Boston to right back to back to the war yeah cold and then, warm and then, cold and then Detroit again yeah 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 that's and weird. are you married at this time uh so by the time we moved to Detroit yeah so we got okay. we got married in um, October of ninety four. All right. And your so, wife is okay with this or she, I, I, you said you met at the radio station. So at least she understands the, uh, the chaos. So better than me. Yeah. She's an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I'll, I'll, I'll be in the same place, you know, cocoon for the rest of my life if I can. Yeah. She loves the adventure and all of that. So the fact that we've been in the same city for coming up on 12 years is, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a testament to her patience. Uh, but you know, again, we've, we vowed that we're never leaving. So <laughs> so Detroit, and now you return the favor and hire, hire Mojo. Yep, I did. And um, we were the little engine that, that nobody knew could, this radio station. We basically had, I had to build the staff, you know, from mornings all the way up. And uh, yeah, let me ask you about that. So Tom invites you to go to Detroit, which yep. is awesome and a big step up market-wise. But on the flip side, I'm guessing the station's not doing so great and it needs your help. Yeah, struggling, definitely struggling. Uh, you know, they, they had been the Dick Purton station and then Dick, you know, crossed the street and just the station hadn't recovered uh, since then. So I get into the market, you know, Steve and I talk about what's needed. We need, we need a morning show. And um, I start having conversations with Mojo. I'm like, buddy, I know you, you're, his wife, Chelsea's family is in Tucson. So this was, this was the hard part, you know, and it's my godson. And these are like some of my nearest, dearest friends. 
but I'm like, yeah, but this is a great career opportunity for you. So at least come out and take a look at it. And uh, we went out and did dinner with uh, Steve Schramm and Mojo and Chelsea. And, and uh, a surprise to me, we won them over. And they said yes. And uh, that was and the And how foundation. did that work, the politics that internally? Because obviously Mojo was having a lot of success in Tucson. Did they have him on in Phoenix or any other markets or just Tucson? No, he was, just, he was just on in Tucson. And honestly, the politics for a while weren't good. I mean, they were, yeah. they were not happy with me. I mean, it's the same company, right? So it's one thing if you, if you poach you know, for a talent and bring them out of the company. But this was within the company. But I mean, I understand, you know, the, the folks in Tucson, this was a guy that was dominating the market and right. we took him to another, took him away into another place. This is pre-syndication, right? I mean, sure. this would have happened, you know, 10 or 20 years later, it would have been easy. You just backfill and no, nobody even knows he's gone. Uh, but that was not the case back then. So, um, so, so at we, this point, when you got there, it was a hot AC, but you transitioned, did it transition to a CHR when, once Mojo arrived or did you do that first? So we transitioned it to an adult top 40. Okay. And in the time that I was in Detroit, the two years, we were always kind of, you know, the station evolved from that hot AC to like more adult top 40, but it was always like a woman 25, 34 targeted station. And that was, you know, the company's philosophy and strategy. So um, it actually became a full-blown CHR when I left. And that was, you know, Dom kind of pushing up the hill and saying, hey, it's time to take the station and make it into a, um, you know, just a regular mainstream top 40 station. So, but I don't think we would have gone from point A to point C without point B, you know, like we, the station right. had, to, had to have that evolution. And um out of all the things it, it, for me in my career that I'm proud of, it's really the people that I've had the chance to work with. And, you know, maybe I took a little bit of that, you know, Greg Strassel, you know, Fred Rico philosophy of trying to build great teams because that Detroit team, man, it was, um, it was kind of ragtag from the onset, but all of the people on that team went on to have stellar careers and are still in the business. Which is incredible. I had the pleasure of uh, sitting with you at dinner at Morning Show Boot Camp a few months ago in Chicago and to be able to sit with Mojo and the whole Morning Show back together and yeah. you and listen to some of those stories was just incredible. And who is the, um, in, I, excuse me for forgetting her name, but she's on now at, um, I think she's on with T at TMX now. And she's oh, yeah, the, Nikki. Yeah, Nikki. Nikki and she's co-hosting uh, the morning show in Chicago and yeah, doing yeah, incredible hats work. Off, hats off to uh, to Jimmy Steele for giving her that opportunity as well. Talk about great programmers, by the way. Yeah, so Nick, Nikki, by the way, came out of college, and she tells the best story of our interview. And uh, but she came out of college, uh, and and Steve Schramm, who was a Michigan State grad, gave me this air check of this Michigan State girl, and he's like, "Look, I just think you should take a look." And I'm like, "All right, well, we'll we'll interview her." And again, this is a the market number seven at the time. And um, we just did the unthinkable and we hired Nikki Schumanato out of uh, MSU and the college radio station. And she was amazing and she was awesome. And, That's and so, an amazing offer. And the fact that she could deliver, I mean, it takes one thing to have the door open for you, but you've got to, you know, earn your stripes once you get in that door. And, and she, and she absolutely did so much. So by the way, that when I moved to Chicago, I hired her there too. So it was Nikki in, in middays. Jay Love, who I just, I mean, great oh, programmer, yeah. great personality. We hired him from, from New Orleans uh, to come and do mornings. And then we hired this guy that was on at KUUU in Salt Lake City. Great like station to sort of like cut your teeth, right, um, in, into major market radio. 
this guy, uh, Tim Herbster, uh, we called him Romeo on the air. Yeah. And, uh, or no, we called him Booker on the air. And then he became Romeo, Romeo when he went to Z100. The talent yeah. that just went through there. Unbelievable. Yeah. We, we had, we had a really, really killer staff. And Tim's obviously- hey, Go was- back really quick to uh, the uh, Chicago uh, staff, the B96 staff, up against the uh, Q95 staff. Oh God, that's tough. I know. Isn't that kind of a fun game to play though? I mean, yeah, it's tough. It's, <laughs> what a well, lineup. Look, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be biased because it was my team in Detroit. Uh, right. But I think that they're both awesome. I just, but when it comes to morning radio, you know, I, I think there are very few talent out there that are, you know, at the, the top, top, top of their game and can do it consistently year after year. And uh, Mojo is one of those guys. So, you know, I think, I, and Eddie and Jobo were great. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. They're great, great morning guys, but for the longevity of the career and, you know, the effort put in all that Mojo might argue with me. I know Eddie and Joe would argue with me. I love, I love all of you, but I think Mojo wins that one. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, definitely. It was, it was a fun time to build that. So you now get an opportunity to go back to Chicago, your hometown. You referenced it at the beginning, uh, to be able to be on or to program, I should say on the air, but program a, a massive radio station in your home market and have your parents there to witness it. What was that like? Uh, scary. If, I, if, I, if I'm being completely honest, my entire career has been kind of putting my, taking myself out of the comfort zone and just figuring out how do I make myself less comfortable? And I don't know why I do it because I definitely enjoy being comfortable more than I, I do being uncomfortable <laughs> as a human. But, um, you know, this was a, a situation where there were multiple factors that, that all came together at the same time. You know, I had had a relationship with um, Rick Cummings. We had had conversations about other situations and possibilities in the past. I was lucky enough to be on his radar and um, he reached out and, you know, we had very, very candid conversations about the radio station and what the expectations would be. And uh, I know at the time they were you know, frustrated with man cow in, in the morning show. And they said, look, if you, if you come in and feel like you need to make a change here, then you can do it. We got, we, we wow. got your back. And I don't think I would have taken the job. I mean, I know, I know I wouldn't have taken the job if they would have said, look, man cow is part of the equation. You just, it, you know, it is what it is. I mean, that's a tremendous amount of responsibility. Cause what are you now? I'm guessing early thirties. I am 30, just turned 31. Yeah. 31. Way too young to be programming <laughs> Q101 and be Mancow's boss. I'll tell you that yeah, right now. I'm yeah, that's, that's a lot. And a guy named James, James Van Alsdell actually wrote a book about Q101. And uh, if you look at some of, some of the passages of me in there, I admittedly was too young to be in that gig. But grateful to Rick for seeing something in me. But um, six months into the gig, you know, I, I mean, actually pretty quick into the gig, it was apparent that Mancow's a very talented guy, so this isn't a, an indictment on his on him as a talent. But you had two radio stations. You had an alternative station from 10 a.m. till 6 a.m. the next day, and then you had the Mancow station, which was a lot raunchier and a lot more right. edgy. And it, you know, just the audiences were different. Sure. So I'm pretty convinced that it's we're going to have to make a change. And at this point, I'm pushing Mancow hard, and I'm and I'm being the you know, not great boss so much so that I suspended him one time there, you know, he contacted the newspaper, the article, like it became like a oh, whole man. I didn't realize that. So this oh, was yeah, all yeah, playing yeah. out in front of the uh, press. A hundred percent. And in and, oh, and your geez. hometown, by the way. Oh man. Yeah. It was very, very, very stressful time. And I'll never forget the conversation. We were on a, uh, a, a collective uh, call 
And um, my actually my late partner, Steve Smith, who was just one of the best programmers ever to grace the radio waves. And I gave him a lot of, uh, a lot of crap about this. Made my life very, very difficult uh, back in the early 2000s because- is he uh, was he is he with Emmis at that point or he's across the street? Emmis and he was he was with Cumul or with uh, Clear Channel I should say. Okay. And he decides to take one hundred five one or what, I think that's the frequency in New York and run it up against Hot ninety seven. Right, right. So a month <laughs> into that deal, we're starting to see that it's already impacting revenue and you know making the change with Mancal would have been a seven figure proposition for probably two years as we built something out. Um, I had identified his replacement, by the way, although that personality and I never talked directly, we talked through proxy. I was looking at um, Elliot Siegel to replace Mancow at Q101. No kidding. But we're on a conference call and we're talking about the impact of what's happening at Hot 97 and the powers that be said, look, we just can't make the change with Mancow right now. We're just, we just can't afford it. Because now they've got New York being attacked. New York's being attacked. And it was, you know, very, very small company with sure. major representation in the top three markets. I think Q101 at the time was billing like $23 million. And this would have been, you know, probably a $4 million or more a year hit to get a new show up and running and losing sponsorship and all of that. Uh, so now you've out. got a morning show who's pissed at you. And that i got to now make nice with. Yeah. Yeah. I did the best I could for like another, I don't know, year, year and a few months. But ultimately at that point, it was kind of a foregone conclusion. So for the first time in my career in, what was it, uh, July of 03, I took an L. <laughs> you, can't, you can't win them all. No, I, honestly, the, the, the losses and the failures are the things you learn the most from. Yeah. So, so true. How did you keep yourself sane through all that? Because I think well. most people listening to this podcast, yeah, there's no doubt that Mancow is a force to reckon with. And yeah. his career trajectory has always been very fascinating to me because he's not had, and no disrespect to him, but just, I don't know what the best way, he just kind of eventually, in my mind, kind of fizzled. He didn't have the longevity. He had a very successfully, he, his star was very bright, but I felt like it extinguished probably sooner than it needed to be. And is that just because he didn't evolve, you think? Or do you have a different point of view on it than I did? I, I, honestly, I think part of it is just in terms of the, how a human is wired. And, um, you know, there's, so I'm going to sidebar for a second, because there's, yeah. there's when, when, when I hire talent, there are five questions that I ask myself and I sort of try to probe to find about the people that I hire. And the last one is, is where, you know, man cow kind of falters. So number one is like, how bad do you want it? Right? Like, are you really hungry? Sure. Number two is how hard are you willing to work to get there? Right? Like wh what kind of effort will you put in? Cause everybody can say they want it, but then they're not necessarily going to always work hard at it. Yeah. Good point. Number three is how smart and strategic can you be to build a plan to get you to where you want to go? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, number four is, are you coachable? And, and by, at, at this point in Cow's career, like coaching Cow was like, I mean, he, he was, he was already set in concrete. He was going to be what he was going to be. But the, the last one that I look for in people, the fifth is, are you a we player or a me player? Oh. And, you know, when you look at guys like Mojo, his DNA is all about the collective we, like to the point where his loyalty is, he's been so loyal to people that, and, and it's come back and bit him in his life. But I don't think he would change who he was as a person just because of that. But 
on the other end of the spectrum, you got people that are just very focused on themselves. And right. you know, that's kind of who, you know, Mancow always was. So, um, that's, uh, I need, uh, if you wouldn't mind emailing me what you just said, those oh, sure. five points, cause those are great. Those are absolutely brilliant. And I'm going to guess, uh, the next morning show we're about to talk about, cause, and let's back up for a second. The morning shows that you've helped develop are really, I mean, obviously Mojo and let's just say the talent Mojo incredible. I know that you've had a, a huge impact on our dub who's gone on to have a phenomenal syndication success. He's not done mornings, but uh, does phenomenal on uh, Sunday night slow jams and does great in San Diego on his afternoon show. And then John Jay and rich, uh, which have gone on to have phenomenal success. And yeah. uh, I'm going to guess that they check off all five of those boxes as, as a morning show. Yeah, definitely. You know, they're, they're, um, work ethic for sure. Desire. I mean, you know, some of the most driven guys that you'll ever meet, um, smart, strategic, build a plan. Yes. Coachable. Yes. To a point. (laughs) (laughs) I remember getting into a, uh, sitting on the floor in their office, having a intense impassioned debate over getting them to add a feature to their show. So they, they, um, they had second date update that was doing really well for them. And I'm like, look, keep it. You have to, but you need another benchmark. We want to drive, you know, vertical and horizontal with the show. And, um, I said, there's this great, by, by the way, Mojo's bit. Uh, I think he actually <laughs> was the originator of it. War of the roses, believe it or not. Well, was uh, he really? I believe he was. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, and ultimately got the coach them into saying, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. Uh, but are they coachable? Yes. And then, you know, they definitely have the, we, uh, Gene in terms of trying to build a team and look out for one another, you know, I mean, that, that, some of that stuff evolves over time and, you know, you go through uh, phases of me time, but I think at the end of the day, those guys checked all five boxes and, and to this day, they're still kicking butt. So really quick. And I jumped over you leave Emmis and pretty quickly land right back in Tucson now for yep. a third, third time. Third, third stop. Does, Tom Pullman hire you back to go become the OM of Clear Channel now at that point? Who reaches out or did you reach out to them? Uh, so, no, it's funny. I was, uh, you know, so I got let go in Chicago and I was taking interviews. I had interviewed in a bunch of different places and I was actually down in Austin and this was a Clear Channel um, station interviewing, I was interviewing with when the GM, Dusty, told me that Debbie Wagner had been rehired as the GM in Tucson. Now, Debbie was, you know, one of my favorite humans, let alone one of my favorite GMs I've ever worked with. And so she's really nice. I met her. She was in San Diego at one point too. She was in San Diego for a while. Yep. Yep. And a lot of times she's now, um, oversees the Lotus stations in Tucson. Oh, okay. So, um, so I called her just to congratulate her because I figured, you know, I was, I was thinking maybe this Austin thing would be the right thing for me and, uh, called the congratulate her. And she's like, Hey, you know, I'm still figuring out what I'm going to do, but would you be interested in coming back to Tucson? And I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah, I would. <laughs> Cause I, I loved Arizona and, you know, didn't want to leave the other two times that I left. It was just for career opportunities. So she gave me that opportunity to come back and, uh, that's great. That worked yeah. out uh, perfectly. It, it, it really did. And, and where, John, where, where were John Jay and Rich at that point? They were on they, the stage. They were, yeah. So Mark Medina hired John Jay and Rich. Um, okay. They, and they, they another were, person in your life who's now, uh, programming uh, Z. Yep. Uh, got, got a chance to work with Mark in like 97. I think he was in and Mark, I apologize. You were in Modesto or Merced. I think Merced. Uh, you were nights and we hired him to do nights at KRQ. And then like, once I started working with him, I'm like, oh my God, this guy is brilliant. And 
we will do cool stuff together. So, uh, so, so Mark hired John Jay and Rich and they were doing about on par with the radio station from a rating standpoint. Um, when I got there in September of Oh three, but you know, I, I saw the potential and I'm like, we got to market you guys on the station more, little adjustments, tweaks, those types of things. And then we just put the power of, you know, that big brand behind them. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, incredible history. And just uh, still to this day, much like Mojo, doing uh, phenomenally well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, again, love those guys and really happy for their success. It was hard to compete against them, which I'm, well, we can talk about in a minute, but... Uh, you know. Yeah, that's right. We'll get there in just, just a second. Yeah, because at this point they're on in Tucson, but now you syndicate them into Phoenix and uh, and uh, yeah, Phoenix, Phoenix was a start, and then we. I'm sorry, we Phoenix, a, other way around, right? Yeah, Phoenix, and then we had them on. I, by the time I left the show, was there was eleven affiliates. By the way, uh, the the two people that I interviewed with to get the job in Tucson in '03, besides Debbie, were Alan Sledge, who was the regional uh, VP, great, great, guy. great programmer, great guy. How is what is Alan up to these days? Alan is semi-retired and kind of okay. living, living the life that he, he kind of creates his own life and what he projects he wants to work on oh. things like that. But good, good we're still, him. we're still in contact and, you know, talking about doing some fun stuff together. Yeah. So it was Alan. And then the other guy, Alan's boss was this guy, Steve Smith, who ironically, had he have not launched power 105, if we would have been able to get Elliot from, you know, DC on Q101 in Chicago, I, probably wouldn't wow. have ever left, you know, cause I'm sure Elliot would have crushed sure. in Chicago and it, he would have married the format perfectly. So again, yeah, yeah. All, all happens, you know, it looks chaotic at the time, but then when you look back and watch it, it's like, Oh, this all makes sense. How this unfolded. Not funny. How just, uh, do you ever watch that movie? Uh, I think it was sliding doors with Gwyneth Paltrow years ago and just how yes. little yes. things just can change again. Yeah. 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 Just amazing. At the same time, you uh, create two new stations, uh, 92.9 The Mountain and uh, Mia 97.1. And so were those kind of fun projects for you? Just to get, yeah, and I guess a little bit now getting out of your comfort zone a bit because you've really been a CHR kind of- uh, Alternative for a while, but yeah, you know, yeah. in that CHR lane, uh, yeah, it was out of the comfort zone. And truth be told, with, with uh, The Mountain specifically- I tried to talk the company into letting me keep the country station because it was country at the time. And it just, I don't think it had, had really had a fair shake, but they, they just wanted to flush it and, and move on to the next. So Debbie and I were able to convince them to, um, to look at AAA. And that was based on KBCO and Denver success company station and, and cities 97. Uh, so Scotty Arbaugh and Lauren McLeish, you know, Minneapolis and, and Denver, and um, we came out of the box, you know, with a top five performance, 2554. Never quite got back to that, that place. But you want to talk about a station that the community embraced, embraced the community. And to this day, the station's been gone for 10 plus years. People still talk about it. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that team and proud of what we accomplished there. And, and Mia, not as long a lifespan, but, you know, just a top 40 you know, Spanish language radio station. And um, we had a great team there, great programmer, Jerry Fernandez. And uh, unfortunately not there anymore, but those are brands that it, they were fun to build. Yeah. And a great experience, I'm sure. And again, you get up to a regional VP or VP of programming, and now you've got Salt Lake City, uh, you've got Albuquerque, Colorado Springs, Fort Collins, uh, Wyoming, and uh, New Mexico all under uh, your your tutelage. Uh, what was that like? So are you on the road now again quite a bit at this point in your you career? You know, some, not, not, not a ton. And uh, again, you know, just sort of like 
with uh, Strassel with Mix in Boston, where he, he got busy, you know, the company was growing at such a fast pace at that point. There was really no oversight. So I was just sort of trying to figure out the job as I went. But it was fun. I did it for the better part of two years, built some great relationships, connections, got a chance to work with some great brands and uh, had a lot of fun. And you're still in Tucson at this point, but then in 2011, you moved to Phoenix to yep. be the show director for John Jay and Rich. Yeah, so small world stuff, right? John Peak hires Mojo in Tucson from B96 in Chicago in like 92. Okay. John Peak interviews me uh, in Denver in 90, what was that, 95. Before and he then, goes on to be an international man of mystery. And, exactly, uh, before he moves France. on to be an international man of mystery. Yes. Um, when he came back to the States, between jobs, we interviewed him to be the show director for John Jay and Rich. So I was still in Tucson. They had gotten to the point where they could afford to have a full-time guy in Phoenix. And um, we interviewed John and Bill Ryan and ended up hiring both of them for different roles. But um, so John and I worked together kind of peripherally there. I was traveling a little bit back and forth, but John kind of took the show and and, and um, ran with it at that point so I could focus on the rest of my um, responsibilities. And uh, when he left two years later, the opportunity to come back, to, come to Phoenix and uh, come back to work with the guys, it was something that I couldn't pass up. So. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a homecoming. And at this point, Clear Channel is our iHeart maybe at that point. Is, I was still Clear Channel, believe it or not. I was not. still Clear Channel, but all in on syndicating and growing the show yeah. and really expanding it. What was that like going from, you know, overseeing a bunch of stations and then getting more into the space of a show? Uh, how did that kind of shift? Did you use a different part of your brain? I know I did. It was a little bit different when I was really kind of in working with a show versus, you know, working on, on a radio station. Yeah. So, so obviously, you know, it's a microcosm of what you, what you did on a broader level work, working with the show, but on the affiliate side, yeah, it became more about sales and customer service. You know, never really looked at myself, even though I started out as a sales intern at B96, I never yeah. looked at myself as a sales person. When I believe in something, it's very easy to, to sing, sing its praises. Right. And, sure. um, I wholeheartedly believed in John Jan Rich and what they were all about. And we grew into, like I said, 11 affiliates by the time I had um, ended my, uh, my tenure with them. Really impressive. And you become PD um, about halfway through that in 2012. Yeah. Medina, of- Medina leaves Phoenix, goes to DC. Uh, okay. And uh, so I, I, I pick up the ball and run with it at ZZP. And then- Walk me through leaving in 2013. You then become the PD at uh, at Intercom, uh, Intercom at, the, at the Camel. What yeah, made so you decide? CBS at the time. And, oh, CBS, and, right, right. Yeah, so there was a turnover within Clear Channel in the upper management. The West Coast was Susan Karras, run by Susan Karras, who's dynamic, great leader. I was, you know, on her team. And the East Coast was run by a guy named Tom Short. And I think there was a political you know, stuff going on and they sort of pushed Susan out of her chair. So Tom takes over all the major markets in the United States. And, you know, I think that there was a a philosophy that her team probably wasn't very good or didn't know what they were doing. And they just came in and started picking off her people. So the first person to go was our GM, Jeff England. Yeah, I seem to, I seem to recall that. I do remember this. I was already, I was gone from the company, but wasn't there some video like kind of circulating where Tom was, What's the best way? It was very aggressive in a video that uh, that probably was broadcast uh, just to the staff, but then it ended up getting leaked, and it wasn't exactly the best look. I remember. 
Yeah, I I, I, I don't remember that, but I, I, that it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, yeah. So they let Jeff England go, and then you just kind of see oh, the Jeff England who now works at he's um, overseeing uh, uh, Hubbard in Chicago. Hubbard, right. Yeah, okay, got it. Yeah, yeah, who's who's doing great? Yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, so they let Jeff go, and then we're all like, all right, here it comes. You know, so um, that happened in like October, November. Smokey got let go in December, January. Actually, there was a riff in December and I thought for sure I'm going to be in this riff. And uh, I wasn't for whatever reason. Then Smokey gets let go. And then um, that was January-ish. And then- yeah, another, uh, another great programmer. Yeah, yeah, great. Great human being too. And then um, I think it was another six or eight weeks after that, that uh, my number came up. So political turnover and change in the company. It is what it is. So at that point, I'm evaluating, maybe it's time to get out of radio. You know, like I don't want to keep moving the family around. And your wife now has got a real estate business that's going really well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, she didn't at that point though. That this, at okay. that point, it was like, we're just trying to make ends meet and figure it out. And we're still coming out of the, the recession, right? So okay. then I get a call from Jeff Capucci who says, hey, uh, Jeff Garrison is um, leaving Camel and we want to talk to you about the gig. Are you interested? Amazing. And Jeff and you went to Columbia College together. We, I, I was a couple years behind him. And because I only went for two, two like two years in the summer, I just missed. Okay. Got everybody it. talked about Jeff. Like, oh, Jeff, All right. you know, because he was already off at FLZ. Yeah, and, got it. His you know. picture was on the wall of fame. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah so Jeff calls. And my initial thought was, let me, let me think about it. Let me get back to you. And then I, I hung up the phone with him. And, and then I'm like, what is my problem? Like, why? I need a gig. I don't want to leave Phoenix. I love country music. What? And I called him back the next day. I'm like, Jeff, I want to make this happen. So. Now, had you ever done country before? Only for a few months uh, in Tucson before we put the mountain on. So not really. That's, uh, I mean, that's amazing. That but, is, but I, I always mean, loved the format and it was always a dream of mine to be a part of it. Like I literally. And you followed the format, know the music, something you were comfortable. I, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like follow the format to an extent. Uh, but like, you know, my, my country background went more back to my childhood and into my, okay. you know, twenties. And at this point I'm in my forties. So, you know, just like any format, I, you learn AAA, learned rhythmic, learn top 40, learn alternative. Like you just learn it, right? You just, I will say looking from the outside into some degree and, you know, having our finger basically in every, almost every format, I am so impressed with country and the artists and that. Oh yeah. The relationship around it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. Um, it's really neat, uh, to be, you know, part of it from, uh, from afar, but, uh, it's I still, just, I honestly still, you know, I've been out of the format day to day, although I consult, uh, and I have uh, a country client, I still have relationships with artists that, you know, you d I developed yeah. in the seven and a half years that I did the format and they're, and we're still in contact. It, it, it's amazing to me. We're doing obviously holiday liners right now for our libraries and we'll reach out to labels and so forth. And, country labels will have liners back from, you know, some of the biggest artists back to us within the, you know, a few days you can reach out and uh, it's just incredible. And it's crazy. Lucky, yeah. yeah. You're lucky to get anything from CHR. <laughs> no, it, it, and again, just to, it's complete opposite end of the spectrum in terms of philosophy. And all of yeah. that is based on Nashville and how Nashville operates. So Nashville is, yeah. is a, is a song town. Like the songwriters are really, you know, they, they hold a good chunk of the power Guys like Shane McAnally, you know, Josh Osborne. I mean, there's just so, so many of them, but 
Shane specifically, you know, has a record label, has massive publishing stake and all of these things. And, and when there's a number one song in country, they have what's called a number one party. And the number one party is, you know, like just one of the things and like they have the publishing and the, you know, the, all the labels and all that kind of stuff. And they come in and like having those, those number ones is a big deal in Nashville. It still is a big deal. That's so cool. And they'll actually have a party to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and really by the cool. way, because, because it's such a big deal, they almost turn over number one songs every week. You know, there's probably 45 <laughs> number one songs uh, a year on the country charts. It's so, another reason to have a party. Another reason to have a party. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was fun. So, so anyway, long story short, Capucci calls. Yes, I want to make this happen. Three weeks later, I step across the street and I get, I, I got a chance to take the helm of, uh, of KMLE. And it was, uh, it was amazing. It was a, it was an incredible seven and a half years. That's, and it goes on, you go on to really kind of prove yourself as a country programmer because it goes on to have some of the best ratings in the history of the station. We got, you know, we did all right. Yeah. <laughs> we did all amazing. right. We won, we won an ACM award. The station never won an ACM award in its 30 year history. And yeah, I just, you know, again, worked with a, a great team of people. And then along the way you annex, uh, become the PD of cool. What was it like to, uh, to do classic hits? Uh, it was fun. Yeah. I, I, and so for, first was um, the top 40 uh, live 101.5. And then, okay. and then, and then cool came like a year later. Or so I was programming three radio stations at one point, which was probably a bit much. Uh, That's but, yeah. But um, you know, you, again, ADD, we try to take on, you know, sometimes more than, than we can handle. And, you know, I had great people around me, so it, it ultimately worked out. And three great formats. I mean, that yeah, must have been a lot great of fun. Formats. The yeah. stations all did, all did well. Yeah, all uh, promotionally active, and oh, actually put yeah, on some crazy. great shows. And yeah, pre-pandemic promotionally active, which is a different yeah. thing post-pandemic, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Just we had we had five way. five or six full-time people on our promotion staff, and like forty part-timers. Unbelievable. Two weeks into the pandemic, we had one full-timer. That was like you know split across multiple responsibilities. I think I had read this in one of the trades or I'm not sure why, and I may be wrong, but I think cool is down to just like maybe one live person or something now, which just like blows yeah, my mind. Yeah, it's not even cool anymore. They, they, they just blew it up. It's now oh, big. Oh, uh, big. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I think one live person. Yeah. And it's like, I, I don't even see it's to me that just, you know, saddens me here in, you know, major market like Phoenix and, uh, you know, legendary station like that and just, you know, but yeah, yeah I don't know how, I don't know how you do it, but. Let's talk about, uh, you know, it's going to be, I think, well, first a happy subject, but then a, then a sad subject. In um, 2020, you launch uh, the Smith Richards Collective um, with one of your best friends, Steve Smith. And tell me a little bit about that, how that came to be. And then I want to talk about Steve. Yeah, definitely. So, so you know, for the first thing Steve and I did together, right after I left um, Entercom and Camel and, and the, the stations, Steve reached out to me because his side passion in life was music and artist. And he was working with a local Phoenix artist, a guy named Ryan Sims, and wanted to know if I'd be interested in helping him with that project. So this is before the collective and all of that stuff. And uh, I said, Steve, I let's get together. Let's talk about it. But, you know, I'm in a really great situation in life at this point, because for the first time in my life, I have no pressure to get the next paycheck so I can kind of look at everything and work with the people that I want to work with. So, you know, it's like I've, I've won, I've won the life lottery in a sense. Uh, (laughs) So 
we all get together and decide that we're going to do this thing. And um, so we did that first. So we worked with Ryan as I was building my consulting business. And Steve was still at uh, Cox, still right. at CMG. So we did that for like a year and a half and maybe, maybe a year. And then there was a lot of pressure and, you know, a lot of financial pressure on the company. And ultimately Steve just was not happy in his situation there. And I said, buddy, just when you're ready and the time is right, just step down and we'll do something together. You know, like the, you're, you're Steve Smith. I mean, that's, we can do this. Right. So he, he ultimately did. And we launched the collective and, um, it was, it was exciting. <laughs> Short lived uh, with Steve, but exciting because you know the the vision that we had, which lives on by the way, was that the power of multiple can be much more effective than any one single programmer, right? So you have a lot of consultancies that are built around a single program or a single programming philosophy, and what I wanted to create with this was not just a Steve and me thing. It was. Uh, you know, who else can we work with? What other great minds can we tap? What kind of projects can we work on together? So build this umbrella company, uh, kind of like, you know, Corn Capshaw did with Red Light Management, where you're not managing all these artists, you're just building an umbrella that everybody can live under, and then you can help each other. And so when Steve passed, that philosophy still lives on, and we're kind of getting ready to rebrand the company but there are other people that are involved in this partnership now. Ken Benson's one of them. Uh, oh, so, fantastic. Yeah, Ken and I do work together here in Phoenix and do some other things as well. And um, more really awesome people that I have to make sure that they're okay with me saying their names. So I won't say it yet, but <laughs> more, more amazing programmers, some of which we've probably mentioned that are um, going to be a part of this collective as well. With the philosophy that, again, you know, you've got a fractional share of, some of the best minds in radio. And um, I'm, I'm really excited to continue that vision and to help assemble those minds. I mean, I think that's such a incredible mission and uh, I couldn't imagine a better person than you to be able to build something like that. I've just always known you to be such a kind uh, person and speak from the heart. Uh, there is no doubt that uh, Steve was just uh, an incredible talent with oh. a br brilliant uh, programming mind. And he touched so many people in the industry. Uh, I was, uh, you know, he was my boss for a little bit of time, you know, back at, uh, at Clear Channel when I was at, uh, at Kbigan Coast. And uh, it was great. And thank Thanks to you, we were able to kind of reconnect over this last year, earlier in the year um, at CRS, and I just had so much um, admiration for him and such high hopes for what you guys were building and for him to be taken away um, at such yeah. a young age. And I think he just had so much more to give, give the world and give the industry. It really, I'm, my, my condolences to you because I know you guys were so incredibly tight. And yeah, he, uh, he was like, like a brother. You know, we kind of developed, we'd always had this, relationship. But, you know, over the last, you know, not quite two years, uh, it, it became very, very close. I'll never forget the first time I was exposed to um, Steve Smith was when I was producing for Gary Spears. So I got that call. Can you, you want to go in the studio and hang out? Yes. So I, I parlayed that into just being his regular intern producer. And um, <laughs> we did a broadcast out at um, a premiere broadcast out at the uh, MTV Movie Awards in 92. And uh, so it was um, 
you know, the whole cavalcade, you've got all the different setups with the different stations and literally 20 feet across from us was power 92 in Phoenix. And, uh, it was Steve and super snake. Oh, wow. And, and, um, you know, Gary's like, you know, Gary does a great job of like being a great on air personality, but Gary's not a lampshade on the head, you know, standing yeah, yeah. in the middle of the room guy. And, you know, between Steve, Steve prodding snake, cause Steve is always the wind in a lot of people's sales. Uh-huh. Uh, those guys, I watched them and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is superstars right here. These guys are big. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that was my first exposure to him to obviously, you know, getting to be partnered with him. You know, we actually went out to the NAB this past uh, spring and um, I convinced him, you know, we're starting a business. So we're going to share a room, Steve. We're going to, you know, and, and that's not, if you know, Steve, Steve's kind of like, you know, more highbrow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think at the West gate of all places. <laughs> and thank you for that. It, was, it, it actually was, it was a great West. I loved it by the way. That was all a great, right, well. <laughs> I, I, I love it. Especially after watching the Elvis movie and knowing the history yeah. of the place. Like, no, heck yeah, man. This is, this is awesome. But yeah, we got, we got really close and it's still, you know, it's been four or five months, but it's still very, very surreal. It still uh, doesn't seem real. And uh, to, to me, when I heard that news, I just, I could not uh, believe it. It's really hard to process because he just was, and I, I felt like Steve Smith just never aged either. The guy just always looked so well, so yeah. full of life. And, uh, and he was, I, and he was un- honestly healthier in a lot of ways and happier than he had been in a long yeah. time. So he was just about to get married, correct? Yeah, Mina, uh, his incredible fiance. She, um, yeah, they would have been married like literally last last week or the week oh, before. Man. Yeah, oh. it's again still hard to talk about, but uh, I will miss him greatly, and um, the industry would not be the same place without him, and it won't be the same place without him. I mean, that guy literally put hip hop on the made hip hop on the radio a thing. Yeah. And built, you know, two of the biggest, you know, hip hop radio brands in the country with Hot 97 and Power 106. And then Power 105. Doggone yeah. it, Steve. It's, I know. Get Went, in my uh, way. Guy had so much incredible, or so much talent, just un- unbelievable. What a brain. Yeah. What a, a programming mind and, and legend. Well, I am sure um, the reincarnation of the Smith Richards Collective uh, is going to be incredible. And Steve will be incredibly proud of you uh, watching from above. And That's anything. The goal. Anything we can do to help you, please uh, don't hesitate to ask, man. I am, uh, you know, honored to be able to work with you and really uh, grateful that you took the time uh, to be on uh, the podcast. Well, thank you for asking. And again, uh, check is in the mail. And uh, <laughs> sorry if you went a little too long today. <laughs> no, this was uh, this was perfect, man. Thank you, uh, Tim. I really appreciate you being on. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Chachi Loves Everybody. If you like the show, we hope you leave us a five-star rating and tell your friends. Please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This has been a Benstown McVeigh podcast production. Hosted and researched by Dave Chachi Dennis. Executive producer, Darren Silva. Producer and editor, Jake Urbanic. Show coordinator, Estefania Padilla. Marketing and distribution, Suzanne Aksu and Robbie Gessel.